She leads, she thrives. The home of inspired conversations, practical and creative wisdom, expansive leadership and business insights, abundant braggadocious moments of celebration, and useful info you can actually do something with. You'll hear about mindset, marketing, money, magnetism, self-awareness and the Thrive Factor framework, its archetypes and more. Amplify your role as a leader, a self-led soul. Tap into your effortless success zone. Turn your ingeniousness and wisdom into profitable income streams. From solo shows to guests you'll definitely want more from, there's something for every ambitious, ingenious soul. I'm Shannon Dunn, a true OG of the business coaching space with an obsession with thriving. You are so welcome here. Let's dive into today's episode. A great big hello, everybody. Thank you for tuning into a new episode. I am your host, Shannon Dunn, a long-term business and self-leadership coach. And if you've been following She Leads, She Thrives for any period of time, you will have heard me many times over. But today I've got a fabulous guest with me. And if you, again, have been listening to the episodes for a while now, you may have paid attention to the fact that when I have a guest introduce you to, I love to tell you why they're here. <laughs> it's, you know, uh, and Alicia and I were just chatting about that and the difference. You know, for me, it's been such an important thing to really reach out and connect with people that I know. And this beautiful woman, I actually do know. It's a little story of our background is we were together on a retreat in Tuscany in September 2018. So if you've again listened to previous episodes, you may have heard my episode with Amy Tao. Amy was also at that retreat. So it was the time that I got to meet both of you, Alicia, like, and so many other beautiful souls, right? But you were this kind of enigma. I think there was everybody else that had come, pretty much had come from Australia, right? And there was this American woman that was there. And not that we have any problem in this country with anyone from the US, but it was like, who is she? Who is she? And it was you. So, uh, and you were one of the amazing women who said, yeah, I want to be profiled and you wanted to meet your archetypes. So we got to do that there right in Tuscany we were just looking at a couple of photos that I took um which I will share um on the podcast when when it goes live and I'll put some of my stories today to say that we were chatting catching up again (laughs) how fun is that and from where we're recording now that's coming up to five years ago right it's amazing it's amazing it feels it feels like how could that have been five years ago and also it was a lifetime ago yes yeah, well, you know, the world's kind of shifted and changed a lot in between, hasn't right. it? But, yeah, but it does. You know, take 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 us back to that beautiful villa in that with that stunning weather in Tuscany, right? It was such an incredible experience. So, yeah. So we we as we go through, we would talk about Alicia's archetypes because she's definitely put a hand up to say I want to talk about them, which I was so excited about. But for now, let me do your official intro with your bio and then we'll get into our conversation for today. So Alicia Tichelle is an alchemist and she's, oh my goodness, so, so is, aren't you, (laughs) of the nervous system for visionary leaders and heart-centered entrepreneurs. Following a 20-year career as a somatic researcher and professor, she now supports her clients to expand their nervous systems so their work can make a great impact in the world without burning out. Her facilitation guides and expression and expansion of nervous system regulation, moving people out of operating from positions of stress and overwhelm into a body state of flow, connection and mastery. Oh, so needed. Uh, you are also the behind the scenes priestess to some of the world's most successful and well-known coaches. And I love how that's for you. It's a, like 
it's out there, but it's kind of stealth. <laughs> I know some of them, but I love that. And of course, she's doing that behind the scenes. Um, and through your training program, Evolution, you guide space holders, facilitators and coaches into integrating nervous system work in their business and life. I am so happy to talk to you about this so, so much. So it's kind of like when I was thinking like questions and where to start, so many places we could start. But I think let's start with your Thrifactor archetypes. And then yes. I really want to talk to you so much about the nervous system stuff because I feel that's been such a trend, particularly in the coaching space and business coaching space. But I still feel like a, a lot of things around the nervous system misses the mark. So we'll get to talking about that and really your take on it with all of your extensive background and expertise is what I'm really excited about. So tell me about or tell us about learning your Thrive Factor archetypes and how they changed you personally. So not so much your business just right now, but you personally, right. you've got five. So you're happy to let you share what they are and tell us this, that story about having that moment. Cause I remember vividly sitting there with you, talking yeah. to you, introducing yeah. you to each of the archetypes and just your whole facial and body and emotional reaction was just mm. so embracing of this is me, right? So yeah. you, tell, you tell the story. <laughs> well, you know, I think I'm going to focus on my first archetype because I feel like that was the one and that she sits in the number one slot has been yeah. like, that's the thing for me that changed the most for me personally was having the queen ruler yes. in that number one spot. And it's, it's something I feel like I'm still growing into the fullness of like, what does that mean? Because it's so much easier for me to fall towards the al alchemist, go towards that liberator engineer, go, go towards the ones that do a lot of work. Yes. yes. <laughs> and coming into acceptance of this queen ruler type and the ability to sort of let her take the lead in my life, I feel is one of the things that has been like, oh, this lifetime of change over the last five years was all of a sudden these places were like, I would admit that I was high maintenance or I tried to hide these things or I wouldn't speak up about what I really wanted. And all of a sudden really letting this archetype have the lead in my life meant that I could no longer pretend this wasn't true. I could no longer sweep it under the rug. Um, the fanciness that I wanted in my everyday, this magic that I was seeking, like it was true, it was real. And it wasn't just me being silly. It was actually, it's actually the code of who I am. Right. And it's I just imprinted felt, in your yeah, DNA, in your personal blueprint. And that's that is yeah. a part of the archetypes. And I love that you're talking about this where you you got to that point of I can't deny this anymore. Like yeah. and this is yeah. something that so often comes through when I'm working with someone with their archetypes is the sense of permission to yes. be who they either knew they were but wouldn't admit it or wouldn't say that maybe admitted it to themselves, but would never have said it out loud. Or there was yeah, that, that permission around, I can be who I've always wanted to be. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like I was, it was like a way that I could be myself, how I am expressively. I feel like I knew that about myself, but it was something like I kept quiet, right. Or like was just for in certain places where I knew it wouldn't ruffle feathers or make waves and like actually being like, okay, no, I'm a queen ruler. I am actually yes, here. You are. You are. Uh, it's so interesting that you're talking about this in relation to the queen ruler, because I mean, there are experiences that I've had with women where 
there's resistance to one or more of their archetypes for a number of reasons. The mm-hmm. queen ruler is it? That's a consistent thing that comes up with women that have the queen ruler archetype. Is yeah. that I, I kind of got to admit this, and this has been part of who I am all my life. I've wanted to have a quality experience. I've wanted to have beautiful things around me. I mean, it's the the archetype that is the designer and is here to bring beautiful things and experiences to the world. Now, that doesn't have to mean it's expensive, but the queen ruler does tend to have a a high kind of (laughs) interest. She's not materialistic, and you know, you would know that, but she wants the best of anything that she invests in, whether that's a material thing or an experience. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah, I just feel like the permission and the growing edge has just been immense. And I've always loved archetypes. And I think really finding this system that wasn't about putting it into a box or pigeonholing, but was about actually getting to the roots so that you could blossom further felt so empowering. And it really... um, you know, in my business, especially just given me the permission to be like, okay, if I'm queen ruler, I get to sort of set these rules for myself. And I feel like one of the reasons my business has been successful in that business sort of perspective is because I don't run it like a business. Yes. I run it like this aspect of my life that it's like, no, I'm here to make the rules. I'm here to set this up for myself. I'm here to follow this myself. And I feel like if I hadn't had that the this profiling at the beginning of when I was really kind of stepping from side passion project into the center of my life. But you were. I could have fallen more prey to sort of doing it the way everyone else said you had to do it, which I absolutely have not. And I think there's there's a few things coming to mind. I always get a rush of different ideas. <laughs> I do remember that when as you said it was a it was a side, you know, passion project yeah. interest. Yeah. I want to do this. I want to have a business doing, yeah. bringing all of your experiences, your expertise, your lived and learned experiences, your interest to life. Uh, and I remember talking to you about that. And I think it's so easy, though, in the online, particularly business landscape, to get caught up and follow other people's ideas about how things need or should be done. And that's kind of words that we often fall prey to, isn't it? rather than being able to go, but this is who I am. I think we do need to mention your liberator engineer archetype, one that we share, because the liberator engineer is the rebel archetype. And she is so, so wired to follow her own path, even if she doesn't know what that is yet. So I think she is a beautiful complement to your queen ruler, which is the archetype I said before of beauty and design and, and leadership and opulence and those, you know, rich experiences yeah. Uh, but the the liberator engineer will be sitting there in the background guiding and supporting you in your queen ruler energy to create yeah. the freedom that you desire which is truly defining a business on your own terms with that rebellious I'm doing it my way <laughs> totally and I think getting them to work together has been a big key because mm. before really getting the queen ruler in the center my liberator engineer had too much power to create and destroy Yes, which she does beautifully, doesn't she? She does beautifully. And I really love that I will destroy things and let them yeah. go and that I don't get stuck on it. And I'm like, let's do this better and let's keep engineering these things. I love that. But there was something about, I I wasn't in the permission to let it. And and maybe you would you can speak to this more, but like mm-hmm. my liberator engineer wasn't necessarily about 
building a legacy. <laughs> she wasn't no, necessarily she's not. interested. She's not. She, right? So, so she we're to, just like, well, what can we do yeah. right now? And she would just create and destroy and create and destroy. Yeah. And I feel like the queen ruler really coming in and saying like, okay, that's fantastic. You've been practicing that. You're really great at it. But now we're going to build towards this. Mm. And all of a sudden, my liberator engineer has something to focus on yes. and to get really excited about. And so now we have different conversations about what gets created and what gets destroyed and what gets worked on and how we're going to do that. And what do we just let slide? Because it's good enough. And all of these kind of conversations that have created more consistency in certain areas that I needed it to have a foundation, but have also allowed me to deepen my work. And I feel like that book, I don't know if you've read it, Deep Work. No, I haven't. It's really interesting because it talks about these ways that we don't get to our real work, like the deep yes. work, because of all the other, all the other stuff that we can be doing, like answering the emails or da 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 da. And I feel like my liberator engineer can get. She's really good at all that stuff, oh, right? And she, so and she feels so productive and all of these things, but it wasn't getting to the depth of the work. And I feel like getting these two archetypes in alignment and working together has allowed the liberator engineer to really engineer a depth of work that I was craving. That's fabulous. And I can see similarities, my visionary creator archetype and the queen ruler have some mm. similarities in their, I guess, their, right. in their expression, that visionary legacy creating kind of energy. But you're right, the, the liberator engineer can either be destructive towards that or she can be so useful you know, it's the, the, that rebellious aspect of the engineering is that just pushing kind of things a little bit further to see what happens and tinkering over and over and over. And, you know, from a practical business perspective, maybe building a registration page for a program you're doing and the liberator engineer just keeps coming and going, let me just change this, let me stop. Like just, it was great. Let the, again, let our visionary archetypes define the vision, create that space. And I think where we can really bring the liberator engineer in initially with that is to make sure that freedom is woven into that vision that we create or we're working towards Absolutely. creating. And then the yeah. engineer is the, the doing part of, okay, now, we, like you said, we've got to focus. We can work towards building, engineering, creating what it is that we actually say we want rather than the distractions of everything else around us, right? Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so much, so much. So how then has the archetypes, because you've, as you said, you've got five. Yes, the queen ruler, you know, being the leader, I mean, truly is the archetype of leadership. Talked about your liberator engineer. How do the others show up and support them? Because this is something I think is sometimes missed when women get to know themselves, whether it's through the lens of their Thrive Factor archetypes or another kind of system is that we end up often focusing on just one or a couple of parts of ourselves and can almost forget that we have a, a broader kind of experience or expression of who we are. And every part of us from an archetypal perspective is going to show up and be influential, whether yeah. we acknowledge that or not. So how do the others show up? You know, I have to admit that I'm probably one of those people who just focuses yeah. on, so you know, the, on, 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 so I focus on the alchemist. The yeah, so the, the engineer engineer and yeah, yeah, that's too funny. And so just so everyone listening in, Alicia also has the mentor teacher and the inspirer believer. I think yeah. when meeting you and getting to understand your depth of background in the academic space, 
Definitely. It was no surprise to me that you you had the mental teacher archetype. I think she's so ingrained innately in you that you kind of don't really need to focus on her so much. It just kind of shows up all the time. Like somebody said, I was having just a random conversation with someone like, you just can't help but teach, can you? <laughs> That's the mental teacher, right? Totally. I mean, you went down yeah. an academic path. I did, yeah. Other mentor teachers in the world listening in, it's I think feel it's a really easy archetype to go, yeah, I've got that or I haven't. Some of the right. others are a little bit more elusive, but the mentor teacher, you tend to know you either have it or you don't. But yeah. you, you don't have to have had a formal teaching qualification like you have to end up teaching. It's just in the part well, of who we are. <laughs> and I think the reason I ended up with a formal teaching qualification was because from a very early age, like, like three years old, I was teaching yeah. <laughs> and organizing bodies in space and having, you know, telling people what we we're going to do. So I think I heard throughout my life, you're a teacher, you're a leader. So I, so it just made sense to me, of course, that when, you know, it was time for a career, it's like, well, just teach people to do these things. But I think with the inspirer too, that it's something that just comes innately, like, yeah. I want people to be inspired when I write my newsletter, when I put things out that I feel, yeah, that I want that breath of inspiration yeah. that comes in, um, yeah. you know, that idea. I also do, you know, as a breathwork facilitator, that idea of inspiration is just huge in that aspect of like, what are we taking in and, and what's the quality then that I'm putting out that other people would be taking in and, and yeah. is it of quality? that serves so Completely. I do think they're, they're they're less in the forefront of how I'm working with things but they absolutely are part of my life daily it yeah. feels like listening to you and even remembering back to that nearly five years ago that the mental teacher and the inspired believer were already so innately ingrained in who yeah. you are and how you're expressing that you didn't need to more consciously and intentionally build relationships with them like you did right. the liberatory yeah, yeah. yeah. I think the Shakespeare your alchemist was also there quite you know in a in a big way but I think it, more, that was, a, I would say the one that I was most in touch with in her shadow. Yes. Okay. Makes and sense. that was the one when we were at the table and you did that first presentation mm. and I, and he's like, there was somebody that I was like, Oh yeah, a little bit, a little bit. When you said the shapeshifter alchemist, I was like, and I think you said something about like Bill, like whatever you were talking about, like all the women in business that you met with. And I was like, that is me. <laughs> like I knew instantly, like all of the shadows that were there of like, you can't quite see what I'm doing. And I talk about it's it. Pretty, it. Yeah. And there's aspects that I'm such a shapeshifter. Um, and yeah, I think that's been really important and something that I continue to actually really need to hone in on because that shapeshifting can be such a gift and also it can be such a way of obscuring yourself. Yes. Right. Um, and, yes. and blending it. And, and for me, I think the more that I own my own um, worthiness and my right to have space to speak and to stand forward, um, the shape-shifting becomes more powerful and less of an obscuring of myself. I love that. I think the the thing to really focus in on when you, someone's like you and they have the queen ruler in shape-shifter alchemist is that combination together, Alicia, is the magical queen. Yeah. Mm. And the queen I is- I love it. <laughs> <laughs> you're right the queen is grounded she knows who she is she may have had mm. times where she had you know took a while to get to comfort level to share herself in the world but she knows who she is there's no denying that at all she's at such a grounded strong archetype the mentor teacher again knows who she is the liberator engineer does as well but she just kind of you know the rebellious part can kind of interfere with the expression of things 
but the shapeshifter alchemist can very much be the most elusive, mystical enigma of a woman. And yet when a woman that has the shapeshifter alchemist archetype steps into her magic, like whatever your definition of magic is, oh, my goodness, like there's no stopping you and the impact that you can have is incredible. And then the entire believer just comes along as a cheerleader. But I love it. Moving, yeah, moving to the next kind of question I wanted to ask you, I think it's important to highlight that Inspire, I believe you said inspiration is just part of who that archetype is. That's another one that you and I share. We've got three the same. But the thing that's often missed with the Inspire, I believe, is she's the archetype of energy. And you look mm-hmm. at your focus, like nervous system, somatics, it's all energetic work, right? Your breath work, really, so yeah. much of what you do. So again, that's no, that was no surprise to me, having an archetype with a combination of others that you have, that it's been such a natural, again, innate focus for you. So on that, you have been learning about and working with the nervous system, teaching it for decades. It's not yeah. just something you've jumped on a trend because, as we said earlier, it's <laughs> been a big trend in the last few years. I see it particularly yep. in the business coaching space but also in other coaching, mentoring and teaching spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, so why do you think, though, that this has suddenly risen as like a popular or trend because it's not new and you've been teaching it and in literally embodying it and demonstrating it for such a long time. But why do you think it's come up as such a popular thing in the, this kind of coaching mentoring space the last few years? Well, that's a great question. And, and I would say one of the things that I think is that the coaching world is a bit of the canary for the collective. Mm in terms of as things need to be sort of cried out and brought forward, the coaching, I think one of the ways, if we could look at sort of what in the collectives does this coaching industry kind of stand for and, and what, and what does it, what's its service as a, as a collective organism, I think crying out about what we need to focus on is one of the ways the coaching industry is meant to serve, right. And sort of hammering in and highlighting these things of course the shadow is is that then we all take a 12-week course and everyone's trauma-informed and you don't go into mastery and and all of the things yeah. that happen as well inside of the industry but I think the beautiful part is this recognition as I went through my own journey you know I bought hook line and sinker in my late teens early 20s that the somatic work I was doing was regulation and that I was there thus deemed regulated. And I, you know, could just put on my, you know, my badge of regulation and be like, cause I do somatic work. And you know, that it was into my, you know, like my late twenties, I'm starting to scratch my head going, I'm not sure I'm really regulated. Wow. I'm teaching this work eight hours a day. I live it, I breathe it. I'm, you know, all of these things. And 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 also I'm falling apart. And also I feel really a lack of confidence in myself. And also I'm, you know, and, and so these places where I just began to recognize it's not, something's not translating here. Yeah. And that was really what took me on a journey. And I think as a collective, we've had enough disruptive, chaotic blips in the world over the past five, seven years right? that we're having to go, you know what? I think that meditation I was doing is not 
I feel great after I meditate and then I feel like shit 15 minutes later. Mm -hmm. I feel wonderful after I do my yoga, but then I'm still laying in bed and I can't sleep. So I think we're beginning as a collective to recognize we've put a lot of, we've bought into some beliefs, hook, line, and sinker Mm -hmm. because we're still very immature as a species. Yeah, I still very much want mommy and daddy to be like, oh, you're doing a good job. You did a meditation. Yay. You're not going to experiencing hard stuff. You're not going to have to go through something hard. Sorry, I didn't mean yeah. to. No, no, I was thinking that, that as you're listening to you talking there, that there's quite a, a superficial, I think, experience for so many people, mm-hmm. not just, you know, mm-hmm. just women, but people in general around yeah, I'll meditate, you know, a few times a day or I'll get up and I'll do my 5 a.m. practice or whatever the thing is that you've adopted, thinking that that will f- kind of fix everything. Yeah. I think firstly the whole narrative of you're broken is an issue, but that's, again, I feel like it's a whole other podcast conversation. <laughs> um, but it's it's kind of like these small kind of, you know, like a put a Band-Aid over the the thing and oh no, I'm good. I meditate or I, whatever the thing is you do, I wear crystals in my pockets or in my bra or whatever. Right. I, I use, you know, incense and, and essential oils, but not yeah. knocking any of those things. If they work for you and you feel better for that, I'm all for that. And I use things like that, but it's not a, a, a solution if we're, if we're looking for one, right. It's not. And I think the fact that we're not initiated into the fullness of ourself Mm. is the whole reason why we think there's a solution that needs to Mm. be found. Mm. Right. So what's really missing in our understanding about the nervous system and about regulation is this idea that it's something we're meant to control. Yes. And that's even taught a lot of nervous system work is taught from control yourself, control your emotions, Mm. control these things. And, you know, it's really done a disservice to us actually evolving. So the reason my, my signature program is called evolution is it is about evolving us as a species through understanding what the nervous system is actually here to teach us what we're actually understanding about our stress response. So much of, of the nervous system works about like, get out of your stress response and never gonna happen. No, you're never going to get away from this stress response. It is wired in utero. It will be with you through your last breath. So getting away from it isn't going to work. No. And I, again, I think that's kind of that band-aid solution of, but if I just want to control my nervous system and and not have a a stress response to anything, then I'm anything. I'm all good. Right. Not, well, not what is flatline? On, on those monitors, what does flatline mean, right? Yeah. And we have this idea that being calm is this flat line where we're not responsive. I remember after doing a ton of work and I was just convinced at this point that I was healed and so, you know, zen. And then something happened and I got angry. And I remember having that initial kind of flare, that spike of emotion in my body and then just bursting out laughing that the next thought that had come in was like, I can't believe I got angry. I thought that I was, you know, regulated. Uh, And then recognizing like, oh, isn't that interesting that we think we're going to do this work and we're not going to experience the height, the lows, the fullness of our emotions, right? And what we actually want is a nervous system that is responsive so that it has access to all Mm -hmm. of the beauty of this life, which includes the moments that we're meant to be angry because when we're in the newness of angry, it's a, it's a, yes, it's appropriate it's information. It's fuel. Yeah. It's 
telling us that we don't agree that something's not right, that we've been, you know, that a boundary has been crossed or, or whatever it might be. And I just think that so much of the rhetoric around emotions being low vibrations, all of these kinds of things where it's, it's all bullshit about controlling people. Yeah. It's all, you know, and, and I think the thing that we have to understand is that any modality that's been created has been created through the collective consciousness with which it was held. Mm. Meaning that some of these things we want to, to espouse as being high wisdom actually came right out of the patriarchy. Mm. No matter what someone's intention of creating it was, if it was created through suppression, if it was created with the idea that certain bodies are allowed and certain bodies aren't, certain ways of moving a body is okay and certain ways of not moving, right? All of these things that we hear, why are we taught in meditation that you have to sit straight? Yes, true. I've, I've never done that. My liberator engineer rebels against anything. Exactly, <laughs> right? And, and so all of these ideas that we're taking, that we're not initiated into listening to our own wisdom, how does your body want to meditate, mm. Mm. right? How do you know that until you spend time experimenting and listening? Mm, it's so interesting is when you pause and give yourself a chance to think about that and I know in my coaching work I've had so many conversations with clients over you know so many years now where she'll come to a you know the session or come to a time where we have together and you know express a range of feelings from that yeah the anger the frustration the sadness the, the and then be like I'm not supposed to feel these but because look at all these good stuff happening in my life it's like no no you know want to feel all of it yeah. Right. And there's particular yeah. archetypes that are more uh, in tune with their feeling yeah. states, right? The inspired believer being one that energy is, can be very peak and trough in terms of the way she's expressed. And the liberator engineer had a little kind of internal laugh when you said around, you know, being getting to a point of expressing anger because that's an archetype that has a depth, a real depth of emotion. It often keeps everything kind of on the outside. Queen rulers can too, right? Keep it all together, oh. like looking like I'm all capable and I'm all good. But when a liberator engineer is not expressing herself through the lens of what freedom is for her, that build up, and you may or may not remember me talking about it. It's like a volcanic energy, like, you know, oh, yeah. underneath the outside is looking like everything's calm, the slopes of the volcano, like, the, you know, there's, there's flora and fauna and everything looks nice. The sky is blue and all of a sudden there's an eruption and that's yeah. where anger comes out. And it's an interesting that that was the, the word that you used for that emotion that you were feeling because often uh, liberator engineers are perceived more by the people close to us who get to see our eruptions that don't tend to happen very often. But, and I think when they, they happen, they're warranted, but right. people perceive that we're angry a lot. And it's like, no, we're actually very frustrated more than anything. <laughs> yeah. So interesting that. In relation to that, what do the archetypes, whether we're talking the thrive factor archetypes or any other archetypal framework, what do they actually have to do with nervous system? Like how do they come together? Well, I think what the archetypes can be so helpful for is that they can show us where we want to move in our regulation towards full expression versus suppression, yeah. right? Versus also that everyone's looks the same. Right. And now, and particularly with the Thrive Factor archetypes, as you've said, there's this interweaving of how they work together that's so important. Yes. And it's not just them in isolation. It's that when someone yes, looks at their we, two key things there, we're not just one archetype. And we are right. not, like you said, our archetypes in isolation. You're not five different parts. I'm not four different parts that kind of 
show up and do their bit but don't interact at all. They are constantly influencing each other in different ways. Yeah. Yeah. So what's great about that is it can it can help me to have that inspiration or that aspiration towards what's my highest expression, what's my highest embodiment. And it gives me this personal yet non-personal way of meeting it. Harder for me to see that through my personality, right? Harder for me to get out of my own way. As the archetypes can be these keys that help us know, what am I growing into? They also, because the way that, you know, you teach archetypes and I work with archetypes too, is like, there's also these shadow parts. Well, what's the shadow? It's the dysregulation. (laughs) It's the part that's not integrated. It's the learning edge, right? And so we get to learn to how, how do I apply what's working, what's already supported, what's in regulation, coming in to hold and gather up and support the dysregulated parts. So when I was talking about how, you know, meeting that shapeshifter alchemist and being like, oh my gosh. And so even though my queen ruler maybe wasn't as out in the front of my life in this way that she is now, like you, like you said, like I knew that about myself. I just wasn't kind of giving the permission for her to take her place. So she was really easy for me to be like, oh, she can come help this shapeshifter part of me that keeps losing herself and losing her voice. And Right. And so if I look at that place of like, what, what is it in my worthiness that's feeling dysregulated, Mm. right? Like, where do I lose my center? So if we think about regulation and dysregulation in one way that we would work with it, it's about holding our own power. Mm. When I'm in my power, my, I'm regulating towards my center. I'm able to be in the flow and the capacity of myself. When I'm not, when I'm dysregulated, I'm leaking my power. And it's not moving towards the center, right? Right. So yeah. this idea then that the archetypes are going to help me keep finding my center yeah. and keep teaching me how to anchor into that truth that I already am, that I'm also becoming, right? So that both end of this journey yeah. of human, I am already the fullness of all these archetypes yes, and I am. <laughs> I'm learning to live that. that and that's it, isn't it? It's a part of my life. I am this. I know, I now know I'm this. I can, I know I can rely on knowing that I'm this, but it doesn't mean that knowing and being something is, means that it's effortless to express it. And I think that's a really important thing for people to understand. And listening to you then, Alicia, talking about the dysregulation and which is, yeah, 100% 100% the shadow or what we call in the Thrive Factor Framework, your potential challenges. And when they're actualized, that's the really the amplified dysregulation. But and then you're also your regulated self is when you are a in a space where the strengths that you have innately through the lens of your archetypes, they just show up in the world. They are you expressing yourself through all of the different strengths that we have and the interaction of when our archetypes work together in harmony and the strengths are are amplified but I think the being able to work with the two parts of that being able to be mindful of our strengths our regulated parts be intentional conscious compassionate about how we use them curious about how we use them yeah and then to be mindful about how we can use those things to support our dysregulated parts so our our shadow parts so that we can like you said integrate and when that comes together, 
yeah, we're in a greater sense of harmony is what we call, you may remember me referring to this uh, at different times, that it's being in your effortless success zone. Exactly. And effortless, not effort-free, effortless. <laughs> I think it's a really important thing. I often remind people that there's a difference there. But this is where things, you are in that state of flow. Things feel good. You can feel like you are in your power, whatever that looks like and sounds like and feels like for people by definition. But that's what it is, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other thing that archetypes can really help us do is not be afraid of the shadow or the dysregulation, Mm -hmm. but to see it as these opportunities for growth, these places where we're, where we're learning something and we're, we're integrating something and we're becoming more of ourselves. And I think that when we have regulation and dysregulation opposing each other and right, dysregulation gets this label of being bad and wrong and not good and we all hold shame around it. And then we hide these things that we have shame about. And so what I see in the coaching world, the way that a lot of these trauma-informed or nervous system programs are taught is to eradicate the dysregulation, which means we just get better at shoving it under the carpet right. and putting on a better mask. Yeah. And so how I actually got into the work that I'm doing is that people started inviting me into their coaching programs to be the person who taught some of this work. Mm -hmm. And so kind of getting to be a fly on the wall in what was happening and then doing my own part and recognizing, oh, wait, I've got a bigger mission here. I can't just come in and teach two classes to your students. This isn't working. There's a whole lot more that has to happen here. And so that's how I ended up growing. And then people who were supposedly teaching this work or doing, you know, the coaching. And then it's sort of like, oh, wait, can you help me? Right. And so this, this, this place, I think too, that when our own effortless flow, right, gets in, like our work starts to fall into place, right? It's another way of saying like, when we're in the thriving of our own archetypes and really following, you know, the way that they're leading us, it kind of, you don't have to sort of be as like, cognitively stretching to figure out what you're doing it just sort of falls into place yeah it does does. I think though then that's that having that self-understanding the self-awareness the the learning uh about things like we're talking about so that when that ease and effortlessness does become your reality the ego and things that are we often you know find in that shadow part of ourselves and the dysregulated part in the space of potential actualized challenges doesn't come in and interrupt that flow. In fact, it's when we can use the strengths, the regulated parts of ourselves, the being in our effortless success zone to say, yeah, I see you. I see that thing. I see that I hear what you're saying. And at the same time, it's not ignoring it, but it's going, what are you trying to tell me? Like it's listening to what's coming up, the feeling we have, the, the message we're getting that may be coming from that shadow space. Personally, for me, I think the shadow is where we actually build a relationship with the greatest depth of our wisdom. Absolutely. Rather than there being the place where it's all those things about myself I don't like or people have judged me or told me are not okay and not not appropriate to share. And I think in reflecting back to choosing to use the word strengths for light and potential and then actualized challenges for shadow was a very conscious thing 14 years ago, creating the Thrive Factor framework. 
but also because of my experience in the counseling and therapeutic world were shadow, even in a space like, like that where it was taught in that therapeutic context, we're still given a bad rap and a negative. It was like, it's a bad thing. Like, no, it's not. It's something, don't do that. So changing the language, not to, again, deny shadow, because I use that word a lot more now, but to make it accessible to women in this modern world. Let's use language that makes sense to us in a different kind of a way. And then we still talk about it once you're in kind of understanding that your light and your shadow from that therapeutic, you know, archetypal psychology perspective. So, yeah, but we're definitely, we're not denying shadow here. (laughs) Not at all. (laughs) Yeah. And really brilliant. Like um, kudos to, you know, 14 years ago, you. Visionary creator. I think her every day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Look back at that past self and be like, good job, you. (laughs) I know. know. And it's been interesting because in talking about not not labeling those parts of ourselves but they needed in in to to have names so that we could talk about the different attributes of ourselves archetypally uh and so in talking about that and explaining why again particularly things like white potential you know challenges not you know we don't just say challenges and again because that language is perceived to be negative and contracting um, but talking about that gives me the opportunity to then talk about light and shadow and the history of that with archetypal psychology. So opening that up. But, you know, 14 years ago, I don't know about you because you've used archetypes like I have for a very long time and been very interested in this work. But I'd use yeah. the word archetype and people would either look at me blankly, roll their eyes, or I remember one woman saying to me, what language are you speaking? <laughs> like, <laughs> yes, I can tell you about the origins and the derivatives of where it comes from because I have a mental teacher archetype. Um, but... <laughs> But these days it's language that is so much more ingrained in our everyday. Like it's words that, you know, light shadow archetypes, they, they just exist in our, in some, in you know, kind of think more commonly in a lot of language around the world. Um, Which is both good and hard. Yes. yes. Right? Don't you agree? Doesn't mean people so understand. Absolutely. And I feel like, yeah, choosing to language my work so a lot of people look at what I like the way that my work has changed over the past five years it looks like it's changed a lot it's definitely deepened and grown and I am more clear in things I've really been doing the same work the whole time right but nervous system wasn't something that like it I you could see this and it not in the coaching world not in the spiritual world it wasn't it it didn't it didn't work. Um, It's really only been over the past five years that it's like, it's made sense to use these words in this way. Mm -hmm. And with that, there's so many misnomers because now it just gets thrown around. It does. Right. And so now there's the, the, that it's in one way, it's easier to talk about because it's more mainstream. On the other hand, there's so much re-education and myth busting and just where people get out of the ears <laughs> people like you and I come in to to educate yeah totally. thank you mentor teachers for that so it's interesting that this is where we're at because the next question I wanted to ask you is around another word that gets bandied around a lot and I yeah. feel it's a, a word that has a lot of misunderstanding and again it's like a trendy kind of thing in this self-help guidance coaching mentoring whatever we call it space whether we're talking business or you know, the spiritual space or something else, the health space, but is the word embodiment or embody. Yeah. yeah? yeah. And I, I don't really feel from the outside in and listening to conversations and things even that get taught by people that supposedly know the ins and outs of this. I'm not saying they're all wrong, but 
I mm. feel like there's something missing for a lot of people and yeah. it gets used a lot in marketing language, you know, embodies mm-hmm. this, embody that. But are people really being supported to have an embodiment practice and experience? I don't think so. So you know what embodiment is. Tell us, like, through your lens and all this extensive experience and expertise that you have, Alicia, what it, what it really means to be embodied and I guess where we start if we're not sure if we are doing it, you know, right. We don't want to put a label right or wrong, but if you want to be more embodied in something, where do we kind of start with that? Well, so let me first starting by saying we can never, if we're in a body, there is an embodied aspect, right? And I think that is usually the place where most people are speaking from, mm-hmm. right? So the innateness of being in a body, right? Mm-hmm. As embodiment. And I get that. I can understand. Okay. Yeah, However, what I would say is when I'm speaking of embodiment, I'm speaking of the resonance that the nervous system is facilitating and attuned to, mm-hmm. right? So that the level of consciousness that is open through the body at the cellular level, at the subtle level, at the biophysical level, right? Of all these different levels of self, what is being um met and facilitated and and used to move into form yeah for me what embodiment not is not is it's not expression and while expression may and i mean capital m-a-y may expression may be experience like you may be able to see someone's embodiment through their expression Mm. maybe yeah i'll I'll tell you maybe in a moment it's not the same thing mm-hmm. and they're not about the same thing. So my embodiment is about my own inhabiting of the experience of myself. Mm-hmm. Being in the indwelling of my own resonance, my own inner landscape, my own energies, my own accessing of, of, of these, of the self that is me. And then I can choose to express that. But embodiment is not about moving my body. It's not about doing something with my body. It is really about how do I inhabit the self that is moving through this system, the nervous system, the fascial system, the myo, the the muscular system, the subtle anatomy, the chakras, all of these aspects, right? So embodiment is a lot more esoteric in my opinion and yes, there are practices that can invite us towards an experience of self, but you can't actually practice embodiment. Yeah. 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 That there's been a lot of trying to intellectualize embodiment, yes. right? And control, control yeah. it and teach you a, you know, here, here are the three things that you're going to do to become embodied. Or if you move your body like this in your sexy little bikini and wrap your legs around, then you're in like all of those things that that's expression, Mm. right? And so what I would say is embodiment is inhabiting. Yeah. Right. And expression is expression. Now, what I would also say, the reason I say maybe is that any expression that I'm doing so that you are experiencing something about me usually is moving out of my own embodiment and in towards an articulation where I might still be connected to an aspect of my embodiment, but 
but it's really mm-hmm. about me being received by another, right? So it's not necessarily about my experience of myself. Mm-hmm. Most of us are living in an unconscious expression that is not about meeting myself. So one of the things I teach my students is you are talking to yourself. Every time you speak, you're, I think I'm talking to you, Shannon. I'm actually talking to Alicia. Mm right? You happen to be the sounding board, the echo chamber by which I get to receive myself. That then is moving my expression back towards a place of embodiment, right? So then I'm going to create this reciprocal flow of expression and embodiment so that through the expression, through the giving of myself towards you and the, the receiving of you, you receiving me, sending that back towards me in the way that you're receiving me allows me to receive myself fuller, right? And so now you become a mirror for me, yeah. right? Because now I can receive myself through our connection. So that's a way that expression and embodiment can work together. But most of the time we have been conditioned to believe that my expression is so that you can validate me <laughs> so that you can um, think that I'm something else so that you'll buy my blah, 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 or, or that you'll see that I'm perfect or all of those things, right? None of that's really about embodiment. And people can put up a good freaking facade. And some of the people that are touting themselves as embodiment coaches, embodiment specialists, overly embodied people, all of these things have the biggest facade up, right? And and some of them sadly don't even recognize it because they put line and sinker into these principles that are actually coming right out of patriarchy, right out of control, right out of suppression of of the freedom of self into a control and a contriving of self um yeah it is sad I'm hearing your liberator engineer come to life again there in that explanation (laughs) I think uh, those of you that are not familiar with a liberator engineer as well as being obsessed with freedom um (laughs) one of the interactions between that expression of freedom by definition for a liberator engineer is being able to see through veils of ego. Mm. As you're just saying then, you know, so many of the people that are out there touting an expertise and mastery in this area of embodiment and many other things uh, are not necessarily do really do that. You know, there is this, you know, the BS that's out there. And I, I love my liberator engineer for being able to sense where there is some BS going on. Mm-hmm. I am quiet about that and, you know, I have a small Thank number you. that I kind of make predictions to and say, yep, I'm sensing this could go this way or there's something's going to happen here. This is kind of all going to fall down, if you like. Uh, not that I want that for anybody, but right. it's that ego-driven energy yeah. that is often expressed. So really interesting. Yeah. Right. So I've got a few more questions to ask you. Okay. When I invite all of our guests to come on, I ask you to share with me what someone who knows you well would say about you. And I love bringing this in as a question. And your answer, if you remember, was making deep concepts practical and tangible. And I was like, <laughs> I read that and was like, because I know you. And I was like, of course, that just make, yes, of course, Alicia does that. But tell us what that means. Like, you know, making deep concepts practical and tangible. <laughs> the shapeshifter, because the shapeshifter is often not practical and tangible because of oh, that really? tangible, of, of constantly shifting, changing, evolving, you know, the, on yeah. that and, and the visibility aspect that can come through mm-hmm. as a shadow, you know, expression of the Shakespeare Alchemist. So tell us about what this is. Yeah, what is it? 
Yeah, I think that there's a way. So in my gene keys, I don't know if you know that um, form at all. So in my gene keys, um, sitting in the place of my radiance and my uh, purpose are truth and illumination. And so, and, and, and Richard Rudd explains them as the Tantra and the yoga. So this place where like, I am all about going into these high experiences, living into this esoteric, mysterious place, but also it has to be in my bones. And so I think that just, and I think there's something about my own neurodivergency, my own confusion about human life that has just always been open to this curiosity, but then like, okay, like now how do we land this? Like, what does this mean? How do we do something with it? What do we, yeah, exactly. I was thinking, what do we do with it? What do we do with this? Right? Like for me, there has to be, it's, it's great for peak experience is great, but what are we going to do with it? Mm. Mundane is great, but what are we going to do with that? So I think on both ends, I'm, I'm super curious about how are we going to live this? How is it going to be purposeful? And so I love to take random academic, esoteric, crazy concepts and actually give the permission to understand how to, how does this apply to daily life? I think where this became really important for me was when I saw people who had great information, but the fruits of their life were crap. They were, it was bad fruit. It wasn't, they could give a great speech or they could give an, write an amazing book, but they still felt like crap about themselves or they couldn't let themselves be intimate with another or all of these things. And I just thought, wait, how do we get more into the wholeness of this? Right. How do we, how do we take these lofty concepts, but also how do we live them in the bones? So for me, I think also too, everything about my life is about being a bridge, multiracial, uh, you know, all of these different aspects of my own codes that make me feel like part of my job is translation. Right. Part of the reason, like part of my legacy here is like to translate from one form of energy to another. And yeah, so I think that's what I do. <laughs> and yeah, as I said, there's no doubt in my mind when I read that, I was like, of course, of course. In fact, I've, I've kind of had that response for most things that have been shared in into that question. But I love to ask about it because it's like, you know, yeah. of all the answers you could have given, you know, I'm always curious as part of my, you know, I think, what did someone say to me not long ago? You're just a busybody. I said, no, I just, I'm a curious soul. I always have been. And I like to understand that's the, you know, yeah. the greater engineer and mental teacher coming together. Yes. You like to yes. understand how things work and what we're going to do with it. <laughs> so <Absolutely. laughs> it makes sense. It makes sense. <laughs> All right. So we're getting closer to wrapping up now, but before we do that, I've got some incredibly important questions to ask you that I ask all of our guests that come onto the show. So the first one, if you could give us a, an insight into what role leadership plays in your life and business. Mm. I, it, everything <laughs> it plays every role. I really don't think that we're going to turn the ship of humanity around without understanding ourselves as leaders and learning to lead our own lives and our own self. So my first job, the first line of my job description is to lead myself. Yeah. And to lead with compassion, to lead with clarity, to lead with focus, to really lead the beliefs um, that I choose to articulate in my life, like really fully. And I think that the better that I lead myself, the better I'm able to show up as a leader for others and to lead them into their own self-leadership. Yeah. So I think that leadership is for me, it's it's something that I unapologetically 
call people into and at least a couple of times a year on my newsletter you're gonna get like and you're a leader too kind of you know yeah, call to action to like wake up and it's, say it it's true it's it is the truth right and I have loved seeing what feels like a big shift from leadership being I guess defined as an externalized expression as in you lead others to self-leadership you know, again, the Thrive Factor framework in its initial iteration was called personal leadership style. It was you know, 14 years ago, I was talking about personal leadership, which now I use the phrase self-leadership. It's one and the same. But that bringing back into our quality of leading in an external sense in terms of being able to support, guide, inspire, whatever others, yeah. if it's what we choose to do, yeah, is so much richer and has such incredible value when we first understand leadership through the lens of self. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I, I don't believe you can lead somewhere where you have someone where you haven't gone. Mm, 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 right? no, and yeah. And I also think I was, I was kind of bopped as a leader really early in my life because I was verbose. I was right. And what I appreciate about that was I feel like I stepped into seeing myself as a leader very easily and very young. Mm -hmm. But what happened was I really had some hard lessons of understanding that was. leadership wasn't about control. Mm. Leadership wasn't about manipulation, wasn't about getting my way, wasn't about these different, was about being right. Mm. Yeah. Right. right. And I think that the growth that we go on when we choose to be a leader is immense. Yes, so much so. There are so many different iterations of leadership that we have as examples, but a lot of them, as you said, that don't really necessarily serve a, a healthy, useful purpose for the, the masses, if you like. Right. So the next question I have for you, how do you know when you're thriving? Mm, I love this. I know that I'm thriving by the way that I'm able to stay fluid and open, the way I'm able to stay curious and receptive, the amount of fun that I'm having, um, the amount of laughter that's in my day, and in my ability to, yeah, be able to be responsive rather than rigid. Mm, beautiful. I love these answers. I, I love that I decided to ask these questions of everybody. <laughs> I love the answers and the fact that there is often some synchronicity with our different guests that we've had, and yet they're also so varied in such so a beautiful varied. way, yeah. right? It's so, yeah. so cool. Um, so how can people connect with you the easiest? Like if anyone's listening and they're like, oh, you know what? She knows what she's talking about, particularly around their nervous system and embodiment. <laughs> because you do, where's the best places for people to connect? We will make sure that all the links go into the show notes, but, you know, tell us now so anyone listening in can go and connect with you. I love playing over on Instagram right now. So yeah, that's where you can find me. I am still Elisha Halpin on Instagram. Yeah. I'm in the cross fate of a name change. So <laughs> you can find me there. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. So I think if you just, yeah, just if you search for Alicia, you'll find yeah. her. And when you do a name change on Instagram, we'll try, remind me, message me, and we will make sure that the show notes are updated. So anyone listening to this down the track can easily yeah. find through that <laughs> link as well. So my very wise friend what is the final piece of wisdom that you'd love to share with the kind of ambitious wise motivated impact creating legacy creating souls that are listening to us mm. today what I would say is 
don't be so concerned with all the modalities. Take the time to start listening to yourself. And this is probably my alchemist and my liberator engineer, but I'm going to say in that listening to yourself, learn to follow your own ways. Take the wisdom that other people have and then be able to let it metabolize within you to your own way of, of, of finding the support that you need, your own rules for all of it, your own ways through. I think that we have to weave a table where every version of leadership is welcome. Beautiful. So, so wise. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You know, again, no pressure, but when I, I feel like when the mentor teachers come to the table for the, you know, to have a conversation with me for Shirley, she thrives, we're going to get wisdom on an, on another level. <laughs> you know, it is the wisdom woman. And you know, I would say 90 more than 95, probably in the 98% of women in my world have the mentor teacher archetype. Really? And yeah. how I love it because I get to hang out with other incredibly wise souls and have really interesting conversations like we have had today about all kinds of things. Learn, yeah. you know, to, as you said, take on board what makes sense to you. Listen yeah. beyond the words that we're hearing and yeah. work what I want to do with that. Because, yeah. you know, knowledge gathering is something that's such a, focus for the mentor teacher but she's really in her most fully expressed space and state when she acknowledges the wisdom she has and and operates from that place not her knowledge yeah. not the intellect yeah. that come from exactly. your exactly yeah. yeah yeah real wisdom's going to remind you of what you already know yeah that's it yeah, yeah. Oh, it's been so good talking to you again. I look forward to another day, as we said, like right at the beginning um, before we started recording today. One day in another, like a villa in Tuscany, we'll get to hang out. Who knows? Or somewhere else. Um, maybe a little, maybe a villa in Gla- a little cottage in Glastonbury. I, mean, so I was just thinking that. I was going to say, for anyone who's listening in, Alicia has an incredibly beautiful relationship with the United Kingdom and particularly the area around Glastonbury, if you know yeah. about it or if yeah. you don't know go and google it and don't just google Glastonbury <laughs> and understand us telling her that my experience of Glastonbury I have an awareness of the the incredible opportunity of what you can experience there but yeah. when I went there it was for the music festival in my 20s <laughs> when I was living in the UK uh, but I'm glad that I didn't try and have an experience of Glastonbury like I want to now as a an older kind of wiser woman um, back then because it wouldn't have landed I think in the way that it could do now so one day but yes maybe I'll meet you in Glastonbury instead I love it so good. <laughs> beautiful so much for joining me for saying yes when I reached out and said come and be on the podcast uh, very so cool listeners thank you for tuning in and listening to Alicia and I if you have you know something's kind of stood out for you today do something with it, like listen to what Alicia talked about with embodiment, with integration, with all the different things that we have covered today. If you're curious about your own archetypes, I talk regularly about how you can find out what your Thrive Factor archetypes are. Take action, like follow that instinct, that intuition, that wisdom that you have and, uh, you know, reach out to her, connect with her. If you have any questions about anything or you ever want to share any feedback with me, I'm always open to receiving it. So if you send, you can send an email through to hello at thrivefactorco.com and myself and my team, always love to hear from you. So wherever you are in the world, stay safe, love yourself, 
step into your wisdom and have the most incredible day. Thank you, Alicia. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. You are so valued and appreciated. Aside from this podcast, my favorite place to hang out online is definitely Instagram. So come and join me, Shannon underscore the Thrive Factor. And no, my DMs are always open for genuine questions and connections. For all the latest Thrive Factor goodness, visit thrivefactorco.com forward slash links, where you'll find more about thriving in life and business. Be sure to subscribe and rate the show and share it with your friends. Let's amplify thriving the world over. 